0: What is up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to another episode of the Real Estate Marketing Dirt Podcast. And today, we're going to talk a little bit about investing. We're going to talk a lot. Folks, I want you to grab your pen and paper today because what we really need to chat about is that if you're in this real estate space and you're not thinking outside the box and actually investing your own money, we need to rethink about your career. And we wanted to have a show based on multifamily investing. And if you have not noticed, there's a lot of things going on in the world right now about like syndicating multifamily deals or becoming an investor-friendly agent. And folks, all of this stuff, what I want to relay, and I can't stress it anymore, is that knowledge is leverage. And when you know about a lot of this type of stuff, especially with what our guest is going to share with us today, you need to know how to leverage it. And that knowledge is going to be absolutely important. So I wanted to go ahead and introduce our guest. She's an expert in the multifamily syndication market. And she's going to break it down for us and really make it simple. But what I want you to understand with this interview is that I want you to take this information and realize how you can leverage it for additional lead generation, okay, for additional deals. Let's go ahead and uh, introduce our guest, Mrs. Anna Myers to the show. Anna, how are you?
1: I'm great. How are you, Mike? Seems like you're having a good day.
0: (laughs) This is just my normal self, Anna. You know, I just a little off the wall sometimes. But um, please go ahead and tell our listeners who don't know who you are a little bit about yourself, a little bit about your background, and then let's get right on into this.
1: Sure. So um, I live in the San Francisco Bay Area, born and raised in California, but I grew up in Southern California. I grew up in a commercial real estate family. So I was surrounded by that. My grandfather was very much in commercial real estate and created shopping malls and such in the 50s. So my father was an architect. So I had that all as my background, but I personally didn't go into real estate when I first started a career. I went into technology. So I was a programmer for, I was in the IT development area. I was a user interface architect, systems architect, really a big problem solver. And then I I ended up changing careers in 2000, which the tech industry crashed is what happened. And both my husband and I were very involved in that. So uh, where I said, we're too heavily leveraged in this. So I went into a different career path, but in the process of that, realized that my taxes were just being raked. And so I said, I've got to fix my taxes. I'm just working to pay taxes. It's crazy. So I realized I need to go back to investing in real estate. So go back to my family roots. I started investing in real estate to help take care of my tax issues because of the benefits that taxation and depreciation gives you through real estate. And that solved my tax problems. What I also realized in that process is that real estate is very scalable. So um, the business that I was in at that point as an entrepreneur, I was very good at, I was very successful at it, but it was not scalable. And I realized there is no future in this for me because if I'm not doing it, there's no business. And that's not a great business to be in. It's a terrible business model. So realizing that, I said, I need to get myself into a scalable business, which is real estate. So I started going down that path, and um, I think that one thing you mentioned about using other people's money, and I would say that it took me a while to be comfortable um, having, taking on investors and also taking on partners, because I at the beginning of my real estate stage, I was just partnering with my husband and my family, and so we, I was doing smaller deals, just single family, duplex, and land deals, and it was very slow, and I wanted to go faster. But what happened is you can't really go faster if you're using your own money. At some point, you're going to run out of money. So I kept increasing my knowledge and increasing my networks and my education and finally became comfortable enough to truly scale, which meant taking on partners and using other people's money to purchase deals.
0: Interesting. Real estate's been in your guys' family for the most part.
1: Yeah. So I felt comfortable as an entrepreneur and just as a person because my family's kind of foundation is commercial real estate. So it wasn't a scary topic to me at all.
0: So you're the person and you guys work in a, how many people are with your office in or whatnot?
1: Well, interestingly enough, there's two full-time people, myself and the founder Neil Bawa. I'm the vice president. I do the, I lead the underwriting. Um, we both wear a lot of hats. And then we have two halftime people that work half halftime marketing director and then another halftime person that works with us on a lot of doing a lot of stuff. But we have, let's see, currently I think we have six virtual assistants. So we run a very lean shop. But so we okay. have uh, six. And how many folks, we're
0: talking about leverage, I just want to hear this next answer because we're talking about leverage here, right? Yes. All right. How many doors are you guys managing? Or how many doors you have under ownership?
1: The founder, Neil Bawa, has 1,800 units. On his portfolio. I joined a year ago with him, and 750 of those units have been acquired with me um, on board. So, personally, right, 750 units in five months, I might add. Four
0: freaking people managing 1,800 doors. I'm not going to ask you guys. Don't leave out the VAs. The VAs yeah. are very
1: important in this. And
0: six, six VAs. But I mean, like, you know, we, we're talking about a lot of this stuff. And honestly, I feel like in the investing space, the multifamily syndication, is the hottest, most opportune thing that's happening right now. Would you agree with that?
1: Uh, Yes, with one additional caveat, I would say that opportunity zones are the hottest things that's happening right now because there's a very short time limit on taking full advantage of opportunity zones. So once we establish that that's really what's the hottest thing going on right now, other than that, yes, multifamily.
0: I'm gonna, I don't know what an opportunity zone, so I'm gonna ask you that in just a second. Okay. if we look at what's happening to the real estate industry in general, I mean, I think we're under fucking attack. You have everybody that's coming out of your after your commissions and or whatnot, and it's going to happen, folks. So, I mean, like what we're talking about is diversifying your knowledge, diversifying your offering. Because the truth is, is that how many agents, real estate agents, do you think exist in the United States that really know how to syndicate a deal? How many even know what syndication means? Let's be honest.
1: I don't know how many agents know what syndication means, but. Give well, me a we're talk- <laughs> okay. Well, the commercial real estates, I work with commercial real estate agents. Sure. They know what it means. So sure. they're they're very familiar with it. I don't know in the single family or residential realm, how many understand what it is.
0: It's probably, my guess is probably under 5%. And again, there's residential and then there's investment. But the reason why this is so important, we had a guest on that owned a commercial development. He's in Denver and um, he accidentally started a brokerage because he needed it to fuel his commercial acquisitions. And what ended up happening was that all of the relationships they ganged through the commercial led to residential business, but they didn't lead with residential business to get to commercial, right? Right. Uh, It went the opposite way around. So it's really interesting to see that model happen. But I could tell you that from the people that I network with, everybody's getting involved in syndication. Everybody's looking at it. And folks, that's why you need to understand it worst case scenario, it opens up a conversation and positions you a little bit differently from your nearest competitor is what we're chatting
1: about. Um, and maybe it starts a new partnership because you know, really when you're taking down bigger buildings, it really, you don't do it by yourself. You do it with a set of partners and, and you build a team and it's a great thing to work in a team together and everybody brings, you know, their best stuff to the pot. And we work together and it's a long-term relationship. five years, seven years, 10 years as you're managing this building. Cause you've got your property managers, but then the syndicators have to asset manage the building. Yep. So we're managing the managers and making sure that our investors money is safe and making sure that, you know, the buildings stay on track. If the property managers are not doing what they're supposed to do, we've got to replace the property manager because we have a commitment to our investors. We're using their money. Right. So, you know, there is a, there is a higher level of commitment besides, you know, just what you want to do as an investor when you want to buy a building. You have to go through a a lot more due diligence when you're using other people's money, not only to make sure that that building is good and that apartment is good, but that the metro it's in is good. We look at job growth. We look at population growth. We look at median household income, crime, unemployment, poverty level, all these different things that are going to help determine whether that apartment building is in a good location to thrive or a very bad location. Like there's really nothing that's going to be happening in that because you're in a town that has one employer. And if that one employer goes down the drain, then you lose all your employees and all your tenants, Yep. you know? So you do need to go through, you can't just be like, Oh, that's a pretty building in a pretty city. Right? No, no. There's a lot more due diligence that is involved uh, at and- a much higher level.
0: And let me um, explain to you guys what we mean by what syndicating is. And I'm just going to make it very simple to understand. Tell me if I'm right go or right. For it. You go for it. When you find a deal, whether it's an apartment building, 30 units, 100 units, 500 units, whatever it is, mm-hmm. and you use other people's money, uh, none of your own, to get a piece of equity in that building. And in exchange... You do the whole thing. It's your job to take the building down, to acquire it, to manage it, to bring it to its highest and best use, and then eventually to exit from it in usually a three, five, or seven-year period is what I see. Does that sound
1: about right? Correct. Sometimes the 10-year, you know, depending on what the reposition is. So yes, if you're doing a, a value-add multifamily acquisition, you're looking for a building. Typically, we're, we're looking for like 100 to 150. You want to be able to have a property manager that's in the budget full-time. You don't want to be managing it or have a property manager that's their attention is divided between multiple buildings. So right. property manager on staff, that means it's gotta be at least 80 to 150 units in order for that to fit in the budget. Okay. Yep. Then you're doing your due diligence. You're working with the broker and your lender to close the deal, but where do you get the down payment from the down payment you get from investors. And in addition to the down payment uh, for the loan, there's the closing costs that are covered by the investors as well as the acquisition fee. Now, the acquisition fee is a fee that gets paid to the sponsors, also known as the syndicators, for taking down the deal. So it's not it's not the broker's commission. It's not the, the points that the lender's getting. It's a separate fee that's part of closing that's an acquisition fee. So that we're, doing is, all the we're, doing we're doing all the work. We're doing all the work.
0: We're doing all the work and making everyone a bunch of passive yes. money. <laughs> exactly.
1: So the syndicators get an acquisition fee at closing. And then over time, generally, you get an asset management fee, which is separate from the property management fee. And that's for us managing the manager because we have weekly meetings that we do with each other as well as the property manager. We put it out many hours in every week for five, seven, 10 years. So there's an asset management fee and then there's a share of, if you consider there's a whole pie of what the cash that's coming out of that building, then we share that pie between the investors that are called the limited partners and the managers or sponsors also called the general partners, GPLP. So a very common split would be the limited partners or the ones that brought all the money they get 70% of that pie and the limited partners get 30% of that pie okay That's
0: about the monthly cash flow
1: Yeah the monthly cash flow and then very commonly there is what's called a pref or preference where the limited partners will receive a pref over the general partners so for example if there's an 8 pref if the the building makes you know 7% that quarter Then that whole 7% goes to the limited partners. The general partners get nothing. And then next, the following quarter, the limited partners are owed 1%. So now they've got to feed back. So so the preference gives the limited partners some knowledge that that the, the general partners really have to perform in order to get paid. They don't get paid if they don't do anything. They have to push the building over the press. So then that's the only way they're going to start getting paid. So sure. there's, there's different protections that are in there for the limited partners. Um, and of course, the big takeaway for the general partners is on sale. So once we sell the building, that's when the general partners get the majority of their take of the pie.
0: Got it. Now let's get back into these opportunity zones. <laughs> and Do you guys have a certain part of the country that you favor? Versus others, and then second question is: Tell me more about opportunity zones. I'm imagining they're in
1: these zones. Yeah, we okay. So starting out with where do we favor? We like the southeast. Um, we like places where the people are moving to, where the population's going, where the jobs are going, where the housing is not overvalued yet. We like places that are landlord friendly, so that if you have a tenant that's not paying their rent, you can get them out of there as quick as possible, and they can't. Sorry, Oregon. They can soak up- uh, sorry, we don't do Oregon. <laughs> I said, sorry, Oregon. <laughs> sorry, Oregon. Sorry, California. <laughs> yeah, makes <laughs> sense. So, uh, it's, for example, places that we've recently invested, we bought two buildings in Atlanta, Georgia, as well as a building in Dalton, Georgia, which is right outside of the Chattanooga Metro. We just closed in Jacksonville, Florida, and uh, we're in process of closing on a building in Tucson, Arizona. Those are all very strong markets for job growth population, median household income, Landlord friendly, and uh, they're not overvalued in terms of the housing price versus the economic engine that's underneath that market.
0: Sure. and you're in charge of the uh, you the underwriting. So Anna's the person who like looks at the deal, compiles all of the different statistics, whether there's migration flows in and out of the area, to income yes. rising. I guess I mean to appreciation to cash flow. When you underwrite a building, this is like running a CMA on steroids, because you got to look at projections and make sure that you're making the right decisions for the right. player. So the LLC. And, and
1: you can't be overly aggressive, You have to, but you can't be overly conservative. You have to be reasonable, otherwise you'll never buy anything, because if you're too yeah. conservative. But you have to you know, be responsible, because the deal's got to work. You can't buy a bad deal using other people's money. Yep. Um, That'll well, be the
0: last time they give you any.
1: Yeah. Well, and there,
0: go, there goes your funds.
1: <laughs> yeah. So my background and my partner's background in technology, we leverage that tremendously in terms of, uh, we, we look at ourselves as data scientists applying data science to real estate. So um, the way that we underwrite buildings, as well as the way as a demographer that I look at markets has a lot to do with the underlying data, how I mash it up and you know see the trends that the data comes up. And that comes from my, my you know, decades background in analyzing data, crunching data, designing programs, all that type of stuff. So it all kind of comes into this new career. So I've given you some markets that we like, and now I will tell you a little bit about opportunity zones. So in the last tax bill that was passed, there was a section of the tax bill that didn't get a lot of attention at the time. um, But then people started figuring out, wait a minute, there's this thing in there called opportunity zones. So what it is, is there used to be opportunity zones originally defined And now the new bill expands it tremendously. I I think there used to be like under 100. And I can't remember what the rules were on that, but it wasn't very interesting. The new rules are there's over 8,700 opportunity zones in the United States. There are opportunity zones in the Bay Area, in San Francisco. There's opportunity zones in Oakland. Pretty much every city has some level of opportunity zones. What it means is, first of all, you have to buy the building after they were identified. There has to be a capital transaction that occurs. If you own a place that is in an opportunity zone after it was identified, you might be able to get a little bump on your sale, but you don't get any tax benefits. So you have to purchase a building in an opportunity zone. Then you can't
0: own one in an already established, in a newly established. No,
1: if, If you own it, then there's a, I think there's something where, where you have to partner with people and you can only like hold on to like 20% of it. It's not that, you know, you have to figure out how to leverage it. So the way to take advantage of opportunity zones, you have to acquire an asset in an opportunity zone. And there has to be done through a fund and people coming into that fund can sell. Here's the beauty of it. People coming into this opportunity zone fund can sell assets from like stocks. They can sell art, like the beautiful art behind you on the wall they can sell buildings. Um, it's it's a way broader than, um, so any type of capital gain that you're trying to shelter, you can put into an opportunity zone fund. Well, then what happens? The building ha- that's purchased has to be improved using CapEx or you know that renovated or in other words developed so that they take the value of the building minus the value of the land and that value of the building, say the value of the building was $750,000, you have to add in another $750,000 to improve that building, okay? So it's, a, it's not a minor step. It's a big development that's going on. So once you meet those objectives, all those people that are bringing their money in to an Opportunity Zone Fund, they get a step down in the capital gains tax that they would pay five years later. So they get deferred it for five years. Then they only pay 85% of it instead of 100 But here's the real beauty. This is what gets everybody excited about Opportunity Zones. All of the money that you make on that project for the life of the project is tax-free forever. Damn. Yeah. Now, here's the thing. It has to be held for 10 years. So Hmm. you have a 10-year project, okay? If you come out before 10 years or or it's sold before 10 years, you do not get the tax-free forever status. You only got 15% off of your capital gains. Now, the reason I say that the time is now for Opportunity Zones is because it's like a ticking thing. The step-down basis and the taxes to step down 15% to 85% of the capital gains happens in the tax year of 2026, which means you're paying it in 2027. So you have to get in now, 2019, in order to take advantage of that. If you get into an Opportunity Zone fund in 2021, then you might get, and you hold it for 10 years, you're going to get the tax-free part, but you're not going to get the 15% off capital gains coming in. Hmm. So, so I know that's kind of like complicated,
0: yeah. complicated, but-, no, but. We're talking to you know, realtors and we get a lot of investors on, on our show and agents, one of the biggest questions we get are, are you investing in, your, in yourself? Are you investing in your own business and all that? And this is exactly what we, the conversation needs ahead for this industry because the truth is, is that you know, we have to assume that we need to diversify our incomes. We need to find out other ways. But what I like even more about this is just like, look at, if you're a a typical agent and let's just say you're going to your rich uncle's house for, I don't know, Easter's coming up, right? Mm -hmm. And you're getting all your families and everyone's got that one rich uncle or, you know, a lot of people do, or, or, you know, somebody, somebody that, you know, if you're in real estate, you know, somebody that has money. Okay. Now, when you're able to have a conversation like this with those people, you're a step away from finding your investors to do the same freaking thing.
1: Right. Um, There's, there's definitely a lot of confidence they're going to build up when you really know what's going on in the market. And when somebody says, I heard about this opportunity zone, but I have no idea what that means. And if you're able to speak to it with intelligence, then that's a big deal, you know, because everybody's hearing about opportunity zones these days, but nobody understands them.
0: I want to do yeah. an opportunity zone video. I bet you I'd make my phone ring off the hook because no one's talking about it.
1: You you would make your phone ring off the hook. And and real estate agents out there, they should look every time they're looking at a listing. They should look up the opportunity zone map and see is this property in an opportunity zone. They Which should that? know that about everything that they're looking. Does this to apply live. to residential too. Absolutely. Oh man, folks.
0: So, so you're talking about dealing with investors. Just mom and pop investors that want to buy a single family house and hold it for fifteen years. You're like, no, you got to. So, yeah. So
1: people need to know that because wow. you could be getting a lot more money. Plus, if you're selling something that's in an opportunity zone, yeah, like you need to. You just need to understand. That's one thing they should always do. It's very easy to look up. Just Google what whatever city you're in. You know, Klamath Falls opportunity zone map. You know, Portland, Oregon opportunity zone map. You'll find it really easily, and then you'll be able to zoom in on the address and find out, is that property in an opportunity zone or not? And if it is, then figure out how to leverage that to your advantage, and to your buyer's advantage. I believe that any real estate agent listening to this, probably sometime
0: in the next 12 months, will trip over at least one opportunity. You know you what think, I mean?
1: Like, I would think they're going to trip over a lot, given that there's over 8,700 8, of them.
0: I'm just being very, very conservative here. But see what I mean, folks, is like, even when I was, I'm no longer selling, I I moved to San Diego, so I'm not selling. I was in Chicago. And um, I used to come across like one good deal a year, you know, I Uh wouldn't say like the ones that come in, like a hotel for sale in River North or downtown, right? And I didn't know how to monetize that at the time. I honestly, in full transparency, I started learning about this, the syndicating and multifamily deals probably within the last 18 months. And it's something I should have always known about, but I just never took the time to learn, to be honest with you. Uh So... It's definitely one of the areas I have on my bucket list. I'm not doing it yet, but as no doubt. It's like one of the ways I want to head. And I just think that if I would have had that knowledge 10 years ago, I probably would have two or three buildings of my own.
1: Yeah. Well, I think the scalability that multifamily brings is the true magic of it. One of the things I love about multifamily, which is very different from single family, is how it's valued. Do you know how multifamily is valued? Mm -hmm please explain them. Okay. So the big difference between owning a commercial multifamily building versus a residential house, if you're an investor, if you were going to own 10 houses versus a 10 plex, let's say those 10 houses, if you're going to figure out how much are those 10 houses worth, how would you do that? You would look at comps and you could say, how much did my neighbor sell his house for? Well, that's not true with a multifamily. The way the multifamily is valued is your 10 plex based on your net operating income, which is your operating income minus your operating expenses divided by the market cap rate. Now, here's the thing. You can control your operating income. You can increase rent. You can add other fees like pet fees or parking fees, you know, things. So you, you can increase your income you can control your expenses. You can reduce expenses, change your vendors, do these things. Thus, you can control your net operating income. You divide it by the market cap rate. Thus, you can change the value of your building. You can't do that with your single family other than doing a renovation and hoping that you know, people receive that well. But with multifamily, that's the true magic of it, that you can control the value of the asset. And that's sure. what people are excited about. That's why people are getting into multifamily syndication because of that control. Even if the market goes down, the reason you know market changes, you still have the control over those levers in your building because it's a business.
0: Yep. Totally. Yeah. I see the, I see the same thing and it's, it's fun. It's interesting. It's it's extremely, and the numbers, it's extremely lucrative guys. Do you guys offer for some of our listeners? Maybe they come across a deal Do you guys tell us how that works.
1: So if they come across a deal that they're interested in partnering on, is that what you're asking?
0: Partnering or sending out. Folks, this is the difference here. We're talking about a lot of syndicators will actually partner with you if you bring the deal, okay?
1: Yes, that is true.
0: Don't just think that you're just gonna get a two and a half percent commission, okay? Think big, think big.
1: I agree. So what we use, you know, bird dogs, I'm sure you're familiar with that term. So bird dogs will bring us the deal and if they're bringing us a deal and bringing us a lot of value with that deal, then we will potentially keep them on and add them to the general partner. Remember I said it's a team of people. So you wanna come on as part of that general partner, even if you're not just a little tiny sliver of it so that you can add it to your resume to say, hey, I'm part of 200, I've got 200 units, because you do, because you're part of that general partner and then you're on those weekly calls. And so you're learning, how does this happen? How do these people make all this happen? So that's definitely a big advantage. Now, one thing that's different about what we do, we are really great at raising money. So we've got a lot of webinars and um, outreach and my my partner, he speaks at uh, a lot of conferences nationwide. So we've got all these investors coming into us and a great marketing brand to get the deals out there. So we have a lot of syndicators that come to us to raise money and they want us to stay on the deal because remember I said, we're technologists. So we are very, we optimize the deals as we manage them to help the investors. So we are a syndicator of syndicators
0: Yeah, syndicators like-
1: come to us and they want to partner with us. So they're bringing us deals. So I see probably anywhere a, a, a light week would be three deals. A normal week would be more like five or six deals that are coming to me from all these different metros And I'm, I'm looking at the deal. They might have it under contract a lot of them are off market deals. Um, these are people that are working with brokers in all these metros that we like and they, you know, they want us to bring in money, but they also want to partner with us because of the value that we bring to the partnership. So yeah, it's a pretty interesting gig.
0: Awesome. Very, 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 very cool. I think we tipped on, I mean, I think we hit pretty much a lot of these main points. Um, you know, At the end of our shows here, I'd like to give you the floor. Please let our listeners know how they may be able to reach you. And folks, keep your eyes open. I mean, I, I see this a lot. And um, I really am excited about the syndicating model. And I think it's something that every agent should know about. And if you don't, I don't think you deserve the license that's in your pocket right now. So please well, go ahead and the floor is yours.
1: Well, thank you. I will say that if you want to learn more about syndications and, and apartment buildings, even if you don't want to buy it with other people's money, we uh, have an education platform called multifamilyu.com. I teach the underwriting on that platform, teaching how to analyze deals, figure out how to invest in markets, that type of thing. So it's an e camp, So you don't have to physically attend. It's a live boot camp that we teach. It's a uh, seven sessions over two weeks, four times a year we teach it. There, one of those times is physical. We teach it one time in the San Francisco Bay Area because some people just like being you know, live. Sure. So how do you find out more about it? You go to multifamilyu.com. That's multifamily, the letter U.com. dot com. And you can find out when our next bootcamp is. And then you can also check out some of our content. I teach underwriting free monthly in a webinar. Um, Neil has a ton of content that he's got out there. Lots of information about opportunity zones. If you want to see the down and dirty on what is this Opportunity Zone opportunity, you can get a ton of education free right on our site, multifamilyu.com.
0: Very cool. That was super informative, and I appreciate the Opportunity Zone. I didn't know that. Um, that's so interesting. And I'm going to go do my homework right now. And if you guys bring Anna a deal right now, she said she's going to include me as a general partner of 10%. Okay. So go ahead and send her these deals. All right. But you Mike
1: is solid. Bring me a deal.
0: <laughs> thank you so much for your insight, your knowledge. We really appreciate it. And folks, thank you for listening to another episode of the real estate marketing dude podcast. You guys know where to find me. It's really, really easy. Realestatemarketingdude.com. And you know what we do. If you don't know now, here's what we do. We build your brand through video content and make you look cool without feeling like a total douchebag using just your cell phone. So please feel free to go ahead and contact us. And if you want to learn more about what we do and how we do it and how we do it all for you, just visit our site, realestatemarketingdude.com. Anna, it's been a pleasure. Been Love great, it. Mike. Yeah. Thank you so much. And thank we'll be you. in touch. Bye-bye. Today's episode may be over, but we have plenty more to keep you busy. To get your complete blueprint for building out a real marketing plan for your real estate business, head over to realestatemarketingdude.com and see if you have what it takes to really become more than just a typical agent. Are you the next real estate marketing dude? Find out here next time on Real Estate Marketing Dude.